So this uh, lesson is basically lesson one. If you it were to come to my class, this is the first class lesson you would hear, though it's a little bit expanded from that. Uh, and because I've expanded it a little bit, I might not get it finished. And so if I don't, um, you'll just have to guess what's in the blanks after that. But I think I will. I'll just go fast enough to make it happen. So if you didn't get notes, there's notes right there on that, in the center of the room on that table right there. That would be, uh, that way you can fill in the blanks, you can get the material. And you can also get this online, uh, this lesson, if you like. So number one, leadership. Leadership is not necessarily being in charge of something or someone. And so that's one of the sort of misconceptions often is when they hear about leadership, well, that means I'll be in charge. I'll be the boss, uh, be able to tell my wife what to do or something like that. And uh, so it's nothing to do with being the boss or being in charge. Mark 10, 42, Jesus calling them to himself. He said, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Lord it over them means they tell them what to do. They boss them around. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant. And so whoever wishes to be great, whoever wishes to be first, have influence. You do that by being a servant. Number two, leadership is influence. And so that, I say that probably 10,000 times in the class. Leadership is influence. That is, those in your life change because of your influence in their life. And so uh, leadership uh, is not formal. It just happens if you are a leader. That is, people around you change positively because of your influence. Number three, people in your life change their behavior, their priorities, their values, their beliefs. <clears throat> and their relationship with God, their motivation and their habits because of your influence in their lives. Now that's a lot of change. And it, it isn't that you may do a lot, you may do a little, uh, but you're always influencing people or changing uh, because of you. Number four, some people have a negative influence on others. We use the phrase they're a bad example or a bad influence. As we raised our kids, we were uh, fairly protective of them in the sense of who they hung out with because we understood this principle that those that they are with influence their life and we wanted them to be influenced positively not negatively uh, Proverbs 22 do not associate with a man given to anger that is don't hang out with him don't go fishing with him uh, or, or go with a hot-tempered man you will learn his ways uh, people influence each other both positively and negatively. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so there are bad influencers and there are good influencers. And the purpose of the class is to train and to learn how to be a positive changer, influencer of people in our life, our kids, our relatives, our neighbors, people we work with, people we don't like. Number five, some people have a little bitty amount of positive influence on others and some have a huge amount. So any amount is good. Any change you positively influence is great. But what we want to become are leaders that have a lot of influence on people. We walk into a room and everybody knows uh, that we're there because of our influence. Uh, in their life. We work uh, with our kids on this all the time. Now one of the principles we understood as parents is if you are positively proactive w working at influencing others, they won't influence you. You are neutral, then everybody will influence you, both the good and the bad. And so we would use the phrase, and I'll bring this up a little bit later with our kids, Learn to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. That is, you control the environment. The environment doesn't control you. And so when the kids would take off to an event that was not going to be particularly healthy, uh, I would s say to them, Seth, yeah, Dad, I know, I know. Be a, thermo a thermostat, not a thermometer. You got it. So I'll, I'll get a report when you come back. And so come back in at midnight that night after being out with the party or whatever. I'd say, okay, how'd it go? It went good. I changed everybody there just a little bit by being a positive influencer of people. And so that's what leadership does, and it does it on purpose. And number six, a major goal of leadership training is to increase the positive, godly influence that people have in the lives of others. <clears throat> so wherever you would be, 
The goal is that you would increase that influence uh, that you have on other people. Now, that doesn't happen by accident. It happens on purpose because you know how to do it. Uh, you learn the principles of leadership that increases uh, your power of influence, uh, your power to impact and to change the lives of people around you. Seven, very few people are a, are a major positive influence in the lives of others who don't con consciously choose to be. So it's, it's fairly easy, this principle is that nobody is a leader by accident. Nobody is a positive influence on others, a major positive influence on others, simply just by being uh, cool. Uh, just by being a nice person. Those who have the most impact on others are the ones who choose to, who make the conscious choice to, to be an influencer. And so the command is, go be my ambassadors, do something uh, that changes the lives of the people around you. And so that's always a conscious choice. We choose to be an influencer. We walk into a room, we think about what we do, how we talk, so that we're influencing other people positively. It isn't going to happen simply because you walk into a room. It isn't going to happen just because you're a nice person. <clears throat> Number eight, a major part of training people to be leaders is making them aware of the power of influence. So, uh, if you have a... Uh, well, we'll say a taser. And you say, I wonder what this is. I think I'll shoot David. <laughs> Look at that. That's quite a bit of power I have. I can get him to cry like a baby. And now that's, you know, kind of negative, but you become aware of what you can do. Now, the goal of the class that I teach is that you would discover the power that we have potentially in us, given to us by God to influence other people. Um, and so the, the, a lot of Christians, they, I, I know I'm not particularly educated, I'm not very charismatic, I'm not very personable, uh, I'm not very good looking, I don't have much education, I can't really do a whole lot. Any one of us can be a very, very, very positive influencer of people if we just discover the principles and the tools that God has given to us. And the Bible is full of them. The Bible is full of them. We just have to learn what they are. Number nine, another major goal of leadership training is teaching the principles of how to increase the level of influence a person has. Increase, increase, get stronger as an as a influencer, as a leader, become more influential, uh, more effective in impacting the lives of the people that you live next door to, that you work with, you're related to. If you're a dad, how do you influence your kids after they leave home? If you're a grandpa, how do you influence your grandkids when you really no longer can, um, you know, spank them or any of that kind of stuff? How can you positively influence them as I hang out with my grandkids? What can I do? What can I say? How can I act in such a way that they're moving positively towards being a stronger believer because of just the words they say, the way I act, and you as well. Number 10, along with training people how to influence others is the training that increases a person's awareness. Now, this is... I tried to figure out how to write this so it was clear, so you might have to read it a couple times. Increase a person's awareness of how successful they are at any given time in their being a positive influence. What that means is, let's suppose I ask you at the end of the day, how'd you do today? On a scale of one to a hundred, how much influence did you actually have in the lives of people today? And you, if, you might say, well, I, I don't know that I had any. And so those who choose to be an influencer of people and learn the tools, uh, the skills, and how to do that, one of the things that happens is they become aware of the change that actually happens in other people because of their life. Now, when you get to the point as a leader where you are aware of, in other words, you see the fruit, the results of, you're choosing to be a leader, then you become... Uh, very effective because you're 
proactively walking into a situation, a circumstance, a job, a family, and you know what to say, how to act, influence people, and you actually can see it happening. And that's not because you're intelligent, it's not because you're good-looking, it's not because you're gifted, it's just simply you have learned uh, what that takes. And uh, it's very possible to do. Number 11, there are two sides to the coin of leadership influence. The first is the, is the change that others make because of our example, our actions, our words. <clears throat> I understand uh, the cautions that people sometimes will say about, well, you don't want to put people on a pedestal. Uh, and uh, I, I understand the, the, you know, the, what we're saying there, but one of the basic principles of the Bible is, is that you can't change unless you have an example. You can't change unless you have a model. And leaders are supposed to be models, examples. Paul says regularly, look what I do and do what I do. I need to be able to say as the leader, if you want a good marriage, do like I do. If you want to raise good kids, do what I do. If you want to be financially stable, do what I do. If I can't, then I need to fix it so I can. Uh, that's a responsibility that leaders have is to be an example of how to do things correctly. First uh, Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. That means not bossing you around, telling you what to do, but proving to be examples to the flock, proving to be examples to the flock. John 13, 15, I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. That's Jesus speaking. Now, obviously, we can understand Jesus as being an example, but he says, live, my, live your life the way I lived it. Philippians, Paul says in chapter 3, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and, and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. And so being an example is a key part. In other words, people see how you live, how you act, and they imitate what you do, because they like what you are, and they like the results of, of what you are. To all, the second way we influence is the change that God causes, the change that God causes to take place in their life because of us and through us. So God causes change to take place in your life uh, through me because of things that I do that he has said do these things and I will work through you be this kind of person and I will influence people through you I will change their life supernaturally because of the things that you say the things that you do the priorities that you have in your life now when you get to that point and you you know you've gotten to there then it develops this great confidence in the partnership as it were as we serve him I live my life in obedience to his word, the principles in it, and I know that he will work through me to accomplish his will in the lives of people. Thirteen, God amplifies our efforts to influence others as we meet the requirements that he's established to be his leader. He amplifies what we do many times over as we meet the requirements that he's established to be his servant, to be his steward, uh, to be his leader. And he is clearly describe what those are in Scripture. And so people say, what do you teach in class? I teach you how to be a leader. That isn't the kind of leader that says, you do this, you do that. That's the kind of person that just walks into a room and people's lives change because of their, um, their character, their behavior, because God is pleased and changes them through them. And that is a powerful influencer of people when you become an what Paul describes as an instrument of righteousness, an instrument of righteousness in the hands of God. 
And when you become an instrument of righteousness in the hands of God, then he uses you to impact, influence, change people in your life. Now, he doesn't just randomly pick people and say, okay, I think I'll use him, I'll use him. He looks for those who have the qualifications. He only uses certain kinds of people. And so you find out what is it that he requires and you become that person and that he uses you. <clears throat> Second Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a large house, and Paul's talking to Timothy, his protege, he's training him. And when he uses that phrase in a large house, he's talking about God's um, influence, his kingdom, his church here on earth. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, also vessels of wood and earthenware. So if you come into my house... And you say, I've got this wrapper off this ice cream bar. What do I do with it? Oh, garbage is under the sink. Okay, that's a container, garbage can. And then there's another one over there in the corner. That's the one we feed the dog out of. And then in the cupboard, there's the, there's the plastic dishes and the paper plates. And then there's the nice dishes. We don't eat, use those very often. If you come to dinner at our house, we'll use them. Uh, but we certainly wouldn't feed you out of the dog's dish or we wouldn't put the garbage pail on the table and we wouldn't give you paper plates and so there's there's Paul says golden vessels silver vessels wooden vessels earthenware vessels and he goes on some to honor some to dishonor some to honor some to dishonor this is talking about people in the church there are some people that are dogs dishes I <laughs> yeah, like that title huh I'm a dog's dish uh, I guess it would be slightly better than a garbage pail uh, or a barf bucket, but uh, you'd rather be a vessel for honor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, that is, they, uh, and then read the context of what Paul teaches there, one of the key things is moral purity, along with some others. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, useful to the ma oh, Those are the, oh, I love those words. They're the best ones in the whole Bible. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Prepared for every good work. So, if an individual chooses to cleanse themselves from these things that Paul's described in the context of this chapter, then he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Um, there's several verses that talk about being useless, good for nothing. Uh, That'd be sad to have that title stuck on your forehead. Useless, good for nothing. I may have told you this story. When I was a kid, my neighbor, our neighbor, his name was Hank. He had 12 hound dogs. And uh, every car pickup he ever owned, he still had it. But it, the wheels were off and it was on cinder blocks somewhere all around the house. And in the bumper of every one of these old pickups or cars was a hound dog tied. That was his house underneath the car or the pickup. And, uh, and then I would go coon hunting with him, Dad and I would, and he would go around and turn all the dogs loose, and they'd all jump in the back of the pickup, and we'd drive up in the woods, and he'd turn them loose, and pretty soon they'd cross a, tr a scent of a coon, and off they'd go chasing it. We'd have a fire built, and Hank would be telling hunting stories. Pretty soon he'd say, oh, yeah, Susie's got one. She's got one. And then pretty soon, oh, they're crossing Rancheree Creek. Yeah, yeah, it won't be long now. And pretty soon, oh, they got her up the tree. And so we'd put the fire out, and off we'd go, and sometimes I'd get to shoot the coon. Sometimes I wouldn't. But I wanted a coon dog, just like Hank had, and so I watched and saved, and finally I bought one. His name was Luther, and uh, got ready to go coon hunting. I got my dog, my gun out, and as soon as I got my gun out, old Luther poof, went under the house. <laughs> Dad said, uh-oh. I said, well, how come he did that? He said, he's gun shy. For whatever reason, he is useless as a hunting dog, good for nothing. So we changed his name from Luther to Useless. That's a lot of Christians just like that. Useless, good for nothing. Uh, there's vessels for honor and dishonor. There's golden vessels, silver vessels, and there's wooden vessels, earthenware vessels. Who decides? You do. You do. And when you decide to be a vessel for honor and discover what the principles are, the things that God requires, then you can choose to do those things, and then God uses you. So what are the requirements? Uh, you know, this is only one lesson, not eight. But I'll give you a couple. Number 15, a major goal of leadership training is to teach what God requires in the life of a person to be used by him to be a positive, godly influence on others. 
What does he require? Great question. What is it that you need to pursue? What you need to change? Uh, How is it that you need to act? Uh, What are the priorities of your life to become a golden vessel? 16, I call the supernatural power of God that works in and through us in the lives of others authority. Now this is not formal positional authority. It's authority that comes from God. Now, when our kids were little, what I would do is I would take iron filings and I would put them on a white piece of paper and I would put a magnet underneath the paper and I would move it around and the iron filings would move as I moved the magnet. I said, so, can you see anything between the magnet and the paper? No. But obviously there's something there. There is some force, some pull, something there is called magnetism And as you move the magnet around, these iron filings move. Now, that's authority. And you have it because God gives it to you. Some have a little, some have none, some have a ton. Uh, God loves to give his authority to people who want it and who have earned it. And that authority is what allows us to influence people that comes from God Mark 1.22, they were amazed at his teaching, speaking of Jesus, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So did Jesus have a title? No. Did he have any position? No. Was there anything that prompted people to say, i got to do what he says? What was it? They really didn't know. They couldn't put the finger on it, but when he spoke, they listened. And when he gave commands, they obeyed. And when he walked, they followed. That's authority. And Jesus obviously had it. And we can have it as well. 17, no person has much positive godly leadership or influence in others without God's authority. So if you don't have his authority, your basic influence is just intimidation. Uh, The world can lead to an extent by using Uh, You can take classes on it, on how to lead, how to influence, how to sell, uh, how to close a deal, all those kinds of things. There are certain techniques you can acquire, and they work to a degree, but what really works is when you have in you the authority of God, uh, and he gives it to people. 18, when I have God's authority in my life, leadership is easy. When I don't, it's impossible. I, many of you haven't met my wife, and uh, she's get real involved in the children's ministry, and people will say, so what does she do? I say, she's the Crocodile Dundee. The Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, you ever see that movie, Crocodile Dundee? That water buffalo busts out of the brush, and old Crocodile Dundee does this little bit on him and freezes him in his tracks. That's what my wife does to kids. I mean, it takes about five seconds. They're eating out of her hands. They just do whatever she says. If she says, be good, they're good. She's just the crocodile dundee of children's ministry. And what do you call that? Authority. And she pulls it on me sometimes. (laughs) Said, I'm up to your tricks. 19, when I have God's authority working in me, people follow when I lead. They listen when I speak, and they want to do what I do. It's, uh, humbling to recognize that you can walk into a room with a hundred people because you choose, you can influence their life towards God even a little bit. And when you recognize that's not arbitrary from God, It's what happens when we choose to be a certain kind of person, when we choose to have certain priorities, when we choose to have certain disciplines in our life. We become that person of influence. Um, 20, authority is sovereignty. It's an extension of God's sovereignty. God loves to give his sovereignty to people who 
are humble, who know how to use it and to use it for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. Daniel 4.31, while the word was in the king's mouth, this is Nebuchadnezzar, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. Sovereignty has been removed from you. Now we all have a level of sovereignty. You get up in the morning because of the sovereignty God gives you. You brush your teeth because of the sovereignty God gives you. You make choices and decisions because of the sovereignty God gives you. And so Nebuchadnezzar had it all taken away and he took all his clothes off, got on his hands and knees, ate grass like a Guernsey cow in front of the castle that he used to live in. I mean, that's kind of a huge drop. And then after that uh, lesson, Daniel 4:36. at that time my reason returned to me, my majesty and splendor were restored to me, the glory of my kingdom and my counselors, my nobles began seeking me out, so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. And so God gives and he takes away. He gives authority, takes it away. He gives sovereignty, he takes it away. 21, sovereignty is the power to control or influence the environment around us. It's being a thermostat instead of a thermometer. God is all sovereign. He controls everything and he gives sovereignty to people, some to a little bit and some a lot. And as we receive his sovereignty, then we influence and we change and we control for his glory, doing his will as his agents, as it were. 22, God loves to give his authority to those who want it and have earned it. You know, the average Christian, that line right there is, they've never heard it, no concept, no understanding that God gives authority, God gives sovereignty, takes it away, and you can increase that level of authority and sovereignty in your life by the way you live, the choices you make, and you can become increasingly more of a tool for God in the world if you want, if you choose. Now, it's not easy. It's not like just deciding to buy a Ford instead of a Chevy. Uh, we have the term we use in leadership called the disciplines. That is, if you want to become a professional football player, uh, it takes a little bit of a, a journey to make that happen. But you can talk to someone that's done it and find out what's required. You want to become a tennis player, you can become one. If you want to learn to fish, I can teach you. Uh, there's a journey on anything. Some are difficult and some aren't. Very few people are willing to pay the price that's required to be a leader for God, an influencer of people for him, because there is indeed a price. He said, Jesus, if you want to be my servant, then you need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross every single day. Pick up your cross every day and follow me. 23, God will not use an unqualified leader even if that person has the position or title and there is a great need for a leader. God will not use an unqualified leader or person. But he will use to the max an individual who is qualified. So if you... Uh, were here last service or the last week you may have heard that one of the things that those in leadership class do is memorize Bible verses and they do the very first verse that is assigned in the class is Ezekiel 22 30 and 31 where God's speaking he said I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land stand in the gap before me between me and the land the people are in the land so that I would not destroy it that is, this individual I would work through and they would change and they would change and I wouldn't destroy the land. But I found no one. Didn't find a single person. Thus, therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way have brought up on their own heads, declares the Lord God. Now, that verse is amazing in a number of uh, ways. One is that one person whom God could work through would change the land to the point that God wouldn't destroy it. The other is, is the fact that God did what he didn't want to do because there wasn't a person and uh, there were many people but there wasn't anybody that was qualified and he will not do his work through people that are not qualified. There was no one. I looked, I looked, but there was none. Therefore, I destroyed the land. Uh, 
That's amazing in its power, positively and negatively. I looked for a person, any person, that would meet the qualifications. If that individual were there, I would work through them. I wouldn't destroy the land because they would change. 24, the Bible is full of examples of leaders who had authority from God that working through qualified leaders is God's method. That's what he does. So one of the things that I work on in attitude is I recognize that one of the characteristics that God requires if he's going to do something through you great is you have to be a humble individual. And so there's a number of aspects of humility. And so it isn't that you think you're nothing, that you're good for nothing, that you can't do anything. That's not humility. Uh, humility is understanding why, what took place, what happened. And so one of the things I got from a, a pastor mentor in my early days was somebody will walk up to you after you preach and they will say, Pastor D, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. It just changed my life. And so what you don't want to say is, it wasn't me, I didn't do it, God did it. Now you make the poor person feel like a fool when you say that. They come up and give you praise and a compliment, and then you sort of blow it off. You don't want to do that. What you want to say is, thank you very much, that is so encouraging to hear. And at the same time, in your mind, you look at them as a glove, and in the glove is the hand of Jesus. One of the principles in Scripture, when you do well, God will communicate to you that you did. When Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven. That's my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The parable of the talents, uh, when they came and uh, Jesus, as the Master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I've never heard an audible voice, but I, I hear God speak to me through you. But when you come up and say, Pastor D, you did a great job with your leadership class this year. Those guys were awesome. And so I say, thank you. Appreciate that very much. That's so encouraging. But all the time, I'm looking at you and recognizing that Jesus prompted you to say that, and I'm giving him the glory for praising what I did for him. Because he always does that. He communicates his pleasure, both to our spirit and to our physical ears through people. But if you don't get that and you become a people pleaser, you begin to do things for the praise of people, everything gets turned around. You lose all your authority and your sovereignty just about as quick as Nebuchadnezzar did. Uh, but the principle that he uses people is important. He works through people. That's how he does his work. That's how he does his work. And so he's always looking for someone who meets the qualification to be an instrument of righteousness in his hands to do his work. <clears throat> 25, this is another line that I say in leadership class about 10,000 times. Everything rises and falls on leadership. John Maxwell made that famous. President Truman uh, said that. Uh, he quoted it from someone else, so it's been around for successive generations, but it's a good one. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Um, God does his work through leadership. 26, good family is a result of good spiritual leadership. Good churches are a result of good spiritual leadership. Good ministries are a result of good spiritual leadership. That's how God works. He works through uh, qualified leaders influencing people. By the way, I don't know if you noticed that that particular uh, one is easy to fill in. Same word in every one. 27, JBC will be wholly healthy and growing on the basis of the size of the foundation made up of qualified leaders. So I operate as a pastor on a principle. It's the principle uh, of, it's called the pyramid principle of uh, church growth, of reaching people. And it's a picture of a table, like a picnic table or a card table, and you pour sand on it. Now, it gets to a point where every piece of sand you put on, another piece runs off the edge. It'll only hold so much. So if you want to have more sand on the table, that would represent the people that are sitting out there that are part of the church. You have to increase the base. The base are those in your church that are qualified leaders. Qualified, solid uh, leaders. That's the base. And the base increases, the mass increases. And so my responsibility is to increase the base. And then the mass increases on its own. The base makes it happen. And so that's 
the motive behind my leadership class is to train people to be qualified leaders. And as that number increases, so does the base. That's just the way it works. 28, so what are the qualifications that God requires if he's going to use you as a servant? Give me a hundred bucks and I'll tell you. Uh, no, attend the leadership class. I'll give you one that uh, we talk about first in class. 29, faithfulness is of major importance to God if He is going to give us His authority. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is critically important. Do you know what the opposite of a faithful person is? The term starts with the same letter. A flake. That's a biblical term. You say, where's it at in the Bible? Well, I'll show you sometime. A flake. What's a flake? A flake is somebody that's not faithful. Uh, God doesn't use flakes. Uh, they're going to go to heaven, you know, if they've trusted Jesus. That's not the issue. We're not talking about heaven. We're talking about being used, doing something that matters, changing our world, uh, being... Uh, a person that God does things through to impact the lives of other people. Faithfulness, uh, he requires. Deuteronomy 7, 9, you therefore, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant. The faithful God who keeps his covenant. God is faithful, that's who he is. He, that's his character, that's his attribute. God is faithful, that's one of the terms we use. Let's suppose you die, stand before God. He says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, well, because I trusted Jesus, your son, as my Savior. Oh, you didn't get the memo. We changed that. That's not how you get into heaven anymore. Boop. See ya. Do you have to worry about that happening? No. Why? God is faithful. God is faithful. John 3.16 is John 3.16. It'll always be John 3.16. It'll never change. God is faithful. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. He doesn't break it. The faithful God who keeps his covenant, who keeps his covenant. And so we have security because God is faithful and he requires us to be faithful if he's going to use us. 1 Corinthians 4.1, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful or trustworthy. It's required. Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. It's easy to understand. That's how I functioned as a dad. Dad, can I borrow the car? Okay. When are you coming home? I'll be home at midnight. Okay. At midnight, I'm sitting in my recliner, and he walks in the door one minute before. And I say, good boy. So next time he says, Dad, can I borrow the car? I say, yes. If he walks in one minute after midnight, and the next time he says, Dad, can I borrow the car? And I say, no. Why? Because last time you borrowed the car, you got home one minute late. Oh, it's only a minute. It's still late. You gave me your word that you would be home at midnight, and you didn't keep it. Uh, so if you want to use the car and you make a commitment, keep the commitment. The more you do, the more freedom you get. The more you do, the more power you get. The less you do, the less you have. You're faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. If you're unfaithful, even what you have will be taken away from you. That's how God operates. 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul speaking to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Why? Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. He considered me faithful. So what does God consider you? A flake or faithful? Faithfulness grows and grows, and the more faithful we become, the more he puts us into power. Uh, he puts us into service and grants us his power. 30, faithfulness is making, keeping commitments to God and others. Faithfulness is making, keeping commitments to God and others. It's a simple 
uh, definition. People all the time say, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, and don't. I'll call you, and they don't. It's not, you know, not that big a deal, but faithful people keep their commitments to God and to others. 31, faithfulness is doing what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it. And we know what that is at any given time, and so we're faithful, we're responsible, we're trustworthy. It's a major requirement that God has for anybody that, whom, that he's going to do something through. 32, God uses those who love his church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the way Jesus does. A lot of people today say, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. When they say that, I step back because I don't want to get burnt by the lightning. Uh, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus died for the church. The church is his eternal companion. The church is going to rule and reign with him at his right hand for all of eternity. And so a lot of you have never met my wife. I've used this illustration before, but I like it. And if you, before the class started, said, Pastor D, you are amazing. You are so, I mean, you're just a great pastor. You're a great leader, and you're good-looking, too. And I bet you're the world's greatest fisherman. Besides, you know, you become my favorite person. But if my wife walks in the room and you don't know who she is and you look at her and say, wow, you are the ugliest woman I've ever seen. I bet you can't cook either. I pity the poor dude married to you. My opinion of you. It doesn't make any difference what you say to me if you talk about my wife that way. You become my least favorite person now. So you think you can say, Jesus, I love you. Ah, oh, that church is full of hypocrites. Dirty church, rotten church anyway. You're nothing and the sense of God using you, if your view of the church is like that. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. How's God going to pull that one off? Through people of influence, through leaders. And you become an individual who makes his church beautiful without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You become a favorite of God. I like to ask this question all the time. Does God have favorites? Sure he does. Sure he does. Mary was addressed as highly favored one. Moses was said to be the friend of God. Abraham was the friend of God. They talked to God face to face, not like others. They were his favorite. Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh that is in this physical body. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church and filling up what is lacking. Churches have problems. Paul said, I do my part. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. 33, the primary way that we demonstrate our love and devotion to our church is by doing all that we can to maintain the unity and oneness of the body. Odd aspects to building and influencing the church, but one of the key ones, in other words, we're talking about what does God require? One of the major ones is that the health of your church is important to you because you know it's important to him. And when you are his tool in your church, and one of the things that you're always careful about is maintaining the unity in the body, then you become usable. But if you are a troublemaker, then you are useless, good for nothing, on the shelf, on the bench, never in the game. <clears throat> John 17, 18, as you, this is Jesus praying, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays for the church down through the ages. Make them like you and I, Father, that much unity. And as a result of that unity, the world will believe. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. Divisions exist among you. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, PowerPoint person. 
There you go. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as the men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. How do I know that? There's jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you, that's you plural, this is not talking about you, it's talking about you all. Do you not know that you all are a temple of God? He's talking about the church, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Uh, pastor's wife, when I was growing up, used to use that verse to beat up smokers. You smoke cigarettes, she'd quote that verse to you. Oh, you're destroying the temple of God. He's not talking about our physical bodies there. He's talking about the church. 1 Corinthians 3, the context of the whole chapter is the church. You destroy the temple, the church, God will destroy you. That's a pretty serious warning. You touch my body, I'll touch your body. And uh, do you think God's going to use someone as an influencer in his church who causes damage in the church, creates disunity? Not in a million years. 34, I'm going to hurry here because we're just about out of time. God blesses unity, not methods. People want to talk about methods. We should do it this way. We should do it this way. There's lots of good methods. I basically say any method will work if we do it together. God blesses unity. 35, the primary responsibility of leadership is to maintain unity. So if someone says, Pastor D, you're a great leader. How do you know? Is it because I tell great stories? Because I catch lots of fish? You measure leadership skill, competence, by the unity of what it is they're leading. And if there's unity, then there's leadership. If there isn't, there isn't. The responsibility of leadership is to maintain unity. 36, the more a person in a church is focused on unity, the more of his authority, uh, more of his authority God will give them. So we have a good unity in our church, not perfect, but it's, it's better than almost any church I know of. And pastors come here regularly and wonder about that, uh, some marvel over it. And they said, how, 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 uh, what do you do if a couple of people get to fight? And I said, well, I uh, say, hi, how you doing? Would you be good? And they are, almost all of the time. Why? Because over 45 years of pastoring, discovering the principles, there's an authority, and the authority is based on my love for the church, my desire to see the church glorify God, and the unity of the body. And so God gives ability, authority, to create unity when you want it, and that's your goal in life. And so it's not difficult when God's working, when his authority uh, is entrenched in the leadership. Um, unity uh, just happens, and it's great. God blesses it. 37, the key principle in maintaining unity is not necessarily giving up our opinions and ideas, but being wise in how we communicate, promote, and defend them. So if you were creating a problem and we went out to lunch and you bought... I would say, you know, you need to work on the unity of the church. Well, yeah, I, I believe in this. Uh, that's great. Believe in it. Just be careful how you communicate and how you interact and how you deal with differences. There's a right way and a wrong way to talk to people, and you're always honoring and esteeming and being gracious and kind. And if you do, then God uses you. You don't have to just fall in line with what everybody else believes, but you just have to be careful on uh, what you do and how you say it. 38, gracious speech, good manners, kindness, gentleness, honoring others is what prompts God to use us for his glory. So I'll say to young people that I have an interest in mentoring and training, uh, one of the things I look for is simply manners. How do they talk to people, you know, to me? How do they talk to me as an old man? 
Some do it with manners. They talk in a great way, and I'm impressed. And others are, eh, kind of flippant and rude and obnoxious in the way they communicate. And the ones that do it right, I say, they were well-parented. Somebody taught them how uh, to talk to other people, especially uh, old people, to, to speak in a way that's honoring and gracious. And, and that's a checkoff for me. That's an individual whom God will use because they know how to talk. They know how to communicate. 2 Timothy 2.23, Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So you notice those words, gentleness, and uh, not quarrelsome. And patient, that's the kind of person God uses. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so you know how to respond to each person. 39, a powerful tool that God has given to us, given us to maintain the unity, oneness, and love within the body of JBC is prayer. The more the church prays, the more unified it will be. We have authority collectively as a church because we ask for it. Philippians 1.9, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. This I pray that your love collectively, corporately will abound more and more. 1 Thessalonians 3.11, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause, may the Lord cause, may the Lord do it, you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. That's a prayer that Paul prayed. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for each other and for all men. Number 40, another major requirement of God, God's for us to be used by God as a spiritual influence of others is humility. And there's more. But you've got to come to leadership class to get the rest or talk to somebody who's been in it. Thanks for coming. Let me pray and we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of serving you. I pray that each of us would want very much to be your instrument of righteousness, doing your will, accomplishing your work in the lives of people that are important to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.